All right, let me set up today. I want to talk about three definitions. Are we ready to go? Okay, so I want to set this up a little bit by defining three words that uh, we all know, and, and uh, we, I think it's part of our battlefield. It's important. I've got them in your bulletin, but the three words are dependence, independence, and interdependence, right? Dependence, independence, and interdependence. It's important because it'll help us understand the context of this uh, scripture this morning. So when you think of the word dependence, what do you think of? I would say that what the world teaches us is no one wants to be dependent on anyone, right? Is it, don't you get that? Even when people get older, what do they say? I don't want to be a burden, right? So, so nobody really truly wants to be dependent on anyone else, and uh, they want to be independent, which is the second word, right? They want to be independent. They want to be financially independent. They want to be uh, relationally independent. They want to be independent in all ways possible. They want to be, and the world promotes that, does it not? Be your own man. Do life your way. All these things come out to tell us that we should want to be independent from anyone else, right? Don't we see that throughout the world? But the reality is, is when we're born, we're born pretty darn dependent, aren't we? Were you taking care of yourself at birth? No, we're, we're, we're so dependent, we can't feed ourselves, we can't clothe ourselves, we can't protect ourselves. And the reality is, the reality is, is at the end of our life, most of us are going to be in a total dependent state again. Some of us will be unable to feed ourselves and clothe ourselves or protect ourselves again at the end of life. Yeah, Kajis. And if you think about our society, uh, my grandson's doing something here, I don't know what it is, but but so if you think about society, they, they have all these markers, like when you're 16, t- teenagers want to be independent from their parents as soon as they can, right? They want to get out, they can't wait to get their driver's license so they can get out of the home and be more independent. 18 is another marker and 21 is another. It's all these markers to indicate you're growing in independence. What's the matter? No? So... So anyway, I'm totally distracted here a little bit. But So this, this, this lie of independence comes from Satan. It was never God's design or God's desire for us to be independent. It, it, it comes from him, and it started in the garden. If you remember, Adam and Eve were living in paradise, totally dependent on who? Totally dependent on God. Filled with perfect love, joy, and peace, totally dependent on God, lived in an abundant life, just the one tree they couldn't eat from, but they could eat from all the other trees, and Satan comes along and says, you ought to be independent. If you eat of this, you'll be like God, and you'll be independent. You will no longer be dependent even on God. You're going to be so independent. And that is the lie that continues to propagate the world, is this belief that we're supposed to be independent, to be our own man, our own woman, to do life our way. It's a lie from the pit of hell. God's design is this. Back to the garden, we're supposed to be totally dependent on God. Totally dependent on God. And that's a life of continuous prayer and seeking God in the Word and desiring to be obedient. As we're in the Word, we see a new truth and we desire to believe and obey it. And it's this constant sanctification process of becoming more and more dependent on God for everything. And then secondly, we're designed by God to be interdependent. We're we're supposed to, he's designed it that we need one another. 
We're not supposed to be independent, but interdependent on one another within the body of Christ, right? And, and you see this within the family unit, right? The family unit is supposed to be modeling this. This is God created family before he created the church. But within a family, there's supposed to be this dependency on God led by the parents, and then there's an interdependence where the whole family needs each other and helps serve one another within the context of family. And then that grows into this, our church family, where we're supposed to be interdependent on one another to help one another in every aspect of life, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Everything a family does, the church family is supposed to do for one another. Are you with me on this? This is God's design. This is what we're supposed to be going toward. And that's exactly what Paul is teaching us here in this, in this Corinthians context, is this interdependence. And by the way, is anybody ever really independent? Of course not. Even if you watch some reality shows where they're living off in Alaska, living off the land, all of a sudden a generator shows up, right? Well, well I guess you needed something. Or tools or something. I mean, they're supposedly living independent apart, but all of a sudden they're waiting for the barge to get across the frozen waters to deliver materials they need. So nobody ever lives in, independent, and, and the goal for us is to live more, more and more dependent on God. So with those definitions, if you'd open the Scripture, to first, or your, your Bibles, to 1 Corinthians 12, 20 through 21, 20 through 30, we'll go through. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20. And Brother Ed's going to read the word for us. And if you'd please stand for the reading of God's word. Appreciate it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for this body, the supernatural body of believers gathered together here as the Oasis Church. Father, I pray now that you would speak in me and through me for your glory, that I would get out of the way. I pray for all those here today, those that are not saved, that they might be saved by the power of the Spirit through the truth of your word. 
And I pray for all those that are saved, that they would be built up, edified, sanctified for the good work you have for them. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we see here is this, it's a beautiful illustration that, that Paul gives us of the interdependence, what it looks like through the human body. He uses the human body to give us this, this, great, uh, this great illustration. And he says, if there, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. He uses, it's a beautiful illustration of this interdependence we're going to talk about this morning. But as you can see, your hand becomes somewhat ineffective and unproductive if you don't have your eyes to help guide your hand. It's a little bit hard to send text messages without your eyes helping or make phone calls or pick anything up or find anything without your eyes leading you. And the same way, use a simple illustration, your mind can think about going places and doing things, but without your feet, you're not going to get there. And, and the idea here, brothers, is I think we, for most of us, we take our, the complexity of our human bodies for granted, but they're very complex, created, knitted together in our mother's womb by God himself, and they're, and they're complicated how everything works together. A great diversity, eyes, ears, hands, feet, mouths, internal organs we'll talk about today. This whole human body is this miraculous thing that God has created, and it all works together in diversity with perfect unity. And that's why he's using this as an illustration. And what we can talk about is, you know, what, well, when we tend to appreciate the complexity of our bodies and the unity and diversity is when something goes wrong, right? If we, if we stub a toe or break an ankle or whatever happens, all of a sudden there's this reality of the interdependence of the body on the other parts. I mean, I've had something as simple as a, a minor injury and it seems to occupy my whole body and my mind throughout the whole day while I'm kind of just, it just brings the attention to it. Are you with me on that? But also we'd say, you know, a great night's sleep. And when you get older, those are rare. But you get a great night's sleep and you wake up and you're like, the whole body's rejoicing, right? Everything's just praising God for a good night's sleep. So there, there's this, I just want you to, he's using this simple illustration of the body uh, for us to look at which shows us the, the, the unity and the call of the spiritual body. Now, the context here, of course, is that the Corinthian church was not living in unity. There was divisions within the church, and they were taking some of the spiritual gifts. I picture it as a little clique of people that had specifically speaking in tongues, maybe the speaking gifts, maybe the healing gifts, some of these mo most obvious and prominent gifts, and they started to think of themselves as superior to the rest of the body. Are you with me on this? They thought they were better than everybody else, and they thought even, you know what, we don't even need those other gifts within the body. And Paul's saying, no, this is like the human body. You need every part. So don't be deceived. So he starts off with this hands and feet, something obvious that anybody could understand. And then he goes a little deeper in the next part of the scripture here. And we'll, and we'll see the context. He says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Do you see that? So he says, yeah, you understand the hands and the feet and the eyes. He said, but what about the internal organs? They're weaker. But we don't do very well without a heart or a mind or a lung, or a kidney, right? And he's saying, so these parts that are weaker, in fact, they're so weak, God built a ribcage around them to protect them. They're weaker. They can't survive out in the open, but they're indispensable. You do not have life apart from them. Just like that, 
there are some parts of the body that are weaker and not visible that are indispensable. Can you think of some of those? Ephraim. What? Ephraim. Ephraim. Okay. <laughs> Okay, good, all right. So Ephraim is an indispensable part of the body, which is good. Yeah, I love that. Let's get to specific people in the church. Yeah, I mean, but how about this? People that are in the prayer ministry. You don't see them, but there's faithful people in this church that are praying for all of you on a regular basis. And I can guarantee you, with much prayer, there's much power. God hears and answers prayers, and there's faithful prayer people in here that you don't even know about. But they're indispensable. How about that those give generously to the church? If some of the people stopped giving generously to the church, we couldn't pay our bills. We wouldn't have a building. We wouldn't have housing. We wouldn't have a lot of things. But they're quiet. They're anonymous. You don't know about it. But they're indispensable. Those that visit people in hospitals. Those that, that do a service ministry within the church. There's many things that go on in a body of Christ that are invisible to us, generally speaking, but indispensable. That's what he's talking about. Don't miss that. And we'll, go, we'll get a little deeper here. He gets a little, he starts with this, and then he goes on and says, and on those parts of the body that we, we think less honorable, we just, we greater honor. What's he talking about there? I'm grateful we all have clothing on today. Amen? And what he's really talking about there is, you know, some of us have body parts that we prefer not to show other people, bellies, thighs. I don't, I don't want to get too specific, but there's parts we don't want exposed. And here's what he's talking about. When he says greater honors, we take care in covering those parts of our body so that they're not exposed, right? And he's saying we take greater honor over those things that we don't want other people to see. And what he's talking about here is we need to be putting honor on those that are, that are not necessarily visible within the body of Christ. To acknowledge them and honor them. And then he goes one step further here. This is rated PG-13. And he says, And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. He's talking about our, the private parts of our body. We're not going to get into specifics, obviously. But we even take more concern to cover those and protect those so that they're never visualized by anybody. Right? More modesty. And so he's saying within a body of Christ, you have all these levels of servants, all these levels of gifting. And when I think about the unpresentable parts, I don't know about you, but I appreciate a clean bathroom. Amen. 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 You know, when I, when I first started my company, I had to travel a lot. And so I spent a lot of time in gas station bathrooms. You know, you, you, I, I was driving from here to Green Bay on a regular basis, 50,000 miles a year. And you, you really get to appreciate a clean bathroom after you've been on the road for three years and, and, you know, rest areas that were really outhouses, you know, with no toilet. They're, you know what those are? Old school. They're still out there, by the way, because I just saw them on the way home from South Dakota. They had no running water. But people in this church clean the bathrooms. People clean this church. I don't know about you, but when you come up, there's mulch and there's no weeds in the front of the church. Someone cuts the grass and puts mulch down and weeds that and plants things in there. And we just come by in the morning, walk in. By the way, these, these aren't mirac- Angels aren't doing this. The, 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 the people in the church are doing these things. You come in every Sunday and you expect a bulletin to be ready when you come in. Someone has to write those and print those. 
When we come up to take communion, someone has prepared this communion. This doesn't doesn't appear from Jesus at the Feast of Cana. Someone actually had to come up and put this out. The building facilities that produce heating and air conditioning and the light bulbs that are replaced and the exit signs that have to be inspected by the fire department. I go on and on. There's all kinds of things that go on within a church that we just walk in on Sunday and just expect them to be done. But there's people doing them. And that's what he's talking about. He's talking about all these invisible people within the church and even the ones that are doing the difficult things like cleaning bathrooms and and, and other things that we tend not to notice and we tend not to appreciate. And then he says this to us, which our more presentable parts do not require. Do you see that? Our mo- which, which our more presentable parts don't, do not require. So here's the thing is that, and don't get me wrong, I, I got a beautiful lady, a beautiful card from some of the ladies for Father's Day to encourage me, and I, I appreciated that. I appreciate the notes and the, the words after the sermon sometimes from all of you. But he's saying, you know what, I don't need that as much as the other ones do that are not being recognized. See, because which more presentable parts, I'm one of those public parts. The worship team's a public part. Tyler's a public, Pastor Tyler's a public. So he's saying that they need less of this appreciation and encouragement and honoring than, than those that are obvious. Are you with me on that? So then he goes on to this. This is a big truth, I think, for the church. Because then he tells them where he's going with it. He says, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no divisions in the body. Do you see that? So what he's saying here really is that I would say two things. Two things that create divisions in the church he's talking about. One is what he's specifically saying, if we don't recognize and honor everybody that's serving in the body, we can end up with divisions in the church. Because they feel unappreciated, unrecognized, and and they can be discouraged. And that can create divisions in the church, which is exactly what was going on in Corinth. They, They thought they were superior and they were not recognizing the full body, the full supernatural body of the church that serves and so that can create divisions in the church. I would say a second thing that creates divisions in the church are those that come to church and don't serve at all. See, because what happens to those that come, and I've seen this over the 15 years, they come and sit in the pews and they become judges versus participants. They, those that don't come faithfully on Sunday and Wednesday and don't start, start serving in any way, it can be handing out bulletins. It be, say, listen, I don't know what else to do. Let me join the cleaning team. I want to help clean the church. Just some way they d- decide to serve. Look, and I, I don't want to single them out, but Al, Al wants to serve. He's up here doing announcements. Any way you can serve within the body, I can tell you something supernatural happens where you're ingrained and infused as being part of this body of Christ. Does that make sense? It, it, it becomes an ownership issue really. You, you feel really part of the family. You, you know, my kids went out, and on Saturday was chore day at my house with our kid, when our kids were little, and everybody would do something. And at the end of the day, we all felt good that we helped share in the workload of the family. There's a, there's a bonding that takes place. Well, even more so in the supernatural family of God. So divisions take place because people are unappreciated, and divisions take place because people don't serve. 
And again, don't wait for an, a Billy Graham evangelistic event. It, hand out bulletins. Help someone clean. Just do something and you'll feel in, engaged in this. Help be on a cooking team for one of our meals. Find something you can do to serve the body. Otherwise, I can guarantee you, the people that always end up leaving the church are the ones that have not been part of the team over and over. And then he says, but, but that the members may have some, the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is the reality. This, by the way, this is a picture of spiritual maturity. And I would tell you that it's very hard for a church to get there. And I gave you the illustration of the body. When something's wrong, the whole body suffers. And when something goes well, like a good night's sleep, the whole body rejoices. And that is, that is the level of intimacy and interdependency we have to have within the church. That if someone is hurting or someone is, is celebrating some sort of a blessing from God, we have to, to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And I'll tell you that probably the hardest thing I think for Christians to do is to truly rejoice with someone that's rejoicing. You know, someone gets a pay raise, or someone, someone gets appointed to a deacon position or an elder, and, and the temptation of the flesh is to grumble and complain, why didn't I get that pay raise? Why didn't I get that new job? How come he has such a nice car? Why wasn't I made deacon? I'm serving in the church. You can't go there. A mature Christian rejoices with those who rejoice. Be thankful. God, God knows what's going to happen in your life and what's going to be next for you. He's in control of all things. But we really have to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Hey, brother, good to see you here this morning. Um, so that's what he's talking about here is this, this call to uh, mourn and rejoice with one another. And I think, you know, brothers and sisters, I love this church because we do a pretty good job of that. We get texts when someone's down. We get te- Here's an example. Uh, Wednesday Bible study, someone needed a bicycle to get to work. Raise it up before the men. Immediately there was a bicycle available from the body. It cleaned up. In fact, I kind of wanted the bike when I saw the picture of it. <laughs> but I stopped and I rejoiced with the one that actually needed the bicycle more than I did. And, but our church is very good at responding and, and praying and visiting people in hospitals and sneaking fried chicken into the, all the stuff we do. We, we do that very well as a church, and I praise God for that. But it's just a reminder we have to keep doing it, maybe do it a little bit better. <laughs> now you are, it, says, it continues here, now you are the body of Christ individually, members of it. This is, a, this is a significant here because the body of Christ, what does that mean? You all right back there? Um, the body of Christ is a supernatural organism of God. It's a living organism. You good with that? It's a, it's a super, this is, you got to picture it. You see your human body and its complexities. This is actually a living organism. It's a living body of Christ. And who's the head? Christ. Christ is the head of the church. We're all part of the body. We have hands and feet and mouths and ears and lungs and hearts and all this stuff within this body. But it is actually a living organism. And it's hard to wrap our minds around it because this is the lie that's been told to us over and over. This is an organization. This is a religious organization that I choose to come sit here on Sunday 
or Wednesday, and I, I, it's a membership to the VFW, the Moose Club, whatever. I can leave whenever I want and come whenever I want. And, you know, and here's the calls that Ty, Pastor Tyler and I get. Hey, let me talk to you about, you know, what are your programs for kids? Do you have a coffee shop? They want to know all the things the church is going to offer to the community. And, and see, they're, they're, they're looking for a club, not a, not a, not a church. And, and the reality is, is, and people come to me and says, listen, I'm thinking about joining your church. And I say, well, I appreciate you thinking about it. But really, I would just tell you this, and I'm not trying to discourage you. We would love to have you to be part of this church if the Holy Spirit leads you to our church. And we would praise God if the Holy Spirit led you to our church. But if the Holy Spirit leads you to a different church, we'd praise God for that too. Because, see, listen to this, brothers and sisters. We can't build the body in the flesh. No, it, would be, it would be easier to build a physical body. Can you build a physical body? Get a bunch of parts, kind of a Frankenstein thing, and build a physical body together? We, <laughs> I don't know why. But, so we can't build a physical body, and that means there's no way in the world we could ever build a spiritual body. Because looking out at you, I don't know if I'm looking at hands, feet, eyes, nose, ears. I don't know what your, your gifting is within the body. And here's what happens. I've been through this already. When churches start to build their congregation in the flesh, you know what they end up with? Like-minded, like-gifted believers. They have a church full of minds. Or a church full, and that's where the church I went to. It was a totally intellectually based church. And they were all just reading the newest books and talking about it. And here's, here's, a, here's a testimony. And I was running the kids' Sunday school, and we were at a port, part in the Scripture, and the Passion of Christ had just came out. That's how long ago this was. But, and I said, you know what? We need to go out and do some evangelism with this Passion of Christ movie out. Let's go. There's a little, right down from our church, then there was a daddy-o's. There's a little a breakfast place. I said, we can go there two hours before church starts, and let's just say, hey, did you see the Passion of Christ? We had little clipboards. Did you see the movie? What did you think of it? You know, where are you at? Kind of an evangelistic, perfect opportunity to talk to people about Jesus. But since we are a church full of minds, you know how many adults came with me? Zero. No hands, no feet, no mouths. They'd rather sit in their little room and talk about the newest book. So guess who came with? All the kids in the Sunday school. They did a phenomenal job, by the way. They were with the clipboards, and they're talking to adults about, well, you know, and we had a great time. But so the point is, is it's a living body of Christ. Only God can build it. We let God lead people who he wants to here, and we thank him because he's building it together the way he wants to. Take a breath here. And And then one other thing I want to say about it is that because it's a calling by God, here's something else that the church does. They leave too easy. People leave the church too easy. This is a marriage. Sheila and Al are examples today at 48 years. You, you don't leave a marriage easily. You, you fight for your marriage. You, you're, you'll go to counseling. You'll do whatever you can to save your marriage. If God called you here, just because things get hard or, or you're, you're a little bit discouraged, you don't leave until God calls you out of a church. That's how you treat clubs. You come and go as you please. That is not the church. This, you're here for Jesus. You're here because of Jesus. You're here to be part of an interdependent body of Christ, and you leave only if God leads you out of a church. And I can tell you personally, I've had to stay at churches I didn't want to stay at. This isn't one of them. Yet. So that's this picture of this living body of Christ. Um, 
Okay. Now he goes over a list, and I'll show you this list. We won't take long on this. But again, remember here, when I go through this list, he's building the context of some of you think you're special and you're not living in interdependency. So he starts to go, and you with the gift of tongues think you're superior. And you'll notice he goes through nine attributes here, nine positions or ministries. And the last thing he mentions of the nine is the tongues because he wants to say, you're way down here on the list. He's trying to get in their kitchen and let them know that they're living wrongly and ununified within the body. And so he says, and God is appointed in the church first apostles. Do you see that? One thing I would tell you, brothers and sisters, this should give us great peace, is that it's the sovereignty of God that has determined your gift, my gift, your ministry, my ministry. God determines that. It's the sovereign call of God. You remember this from a couple weeks ago? Who gives us the gift? Holy Spirit. Thank you. And who, who calls us to ministry? Christ does. Thank you, Kevin. Christ calls us to the ministry. Spirit gives us the gift. Christ calls us the ministry. And who determines the outcome? God the Father. And he's saying, so if you've been called to be a hand, an eye, if whatever it is you've been called to do within the body of Christ, praise God because God has sovereignly ordained that for you. Embrace it with joy. Don't compare your gift to others. It'll do you no good. The whole thing we'll get to the end of this is to find your gift and use it for the glory of God to the best of your ability. That is the call of every one of us. And believe me, as you're working in that sweet spot of your gifting, you will, you will be filled with an undescribable love, joy, and peace by the God of the universe. And you will see impact beyond impact. If you work outside of your giftness, you will very rarely see any fruit in your life. You with me on that? So first is apostles. What's that? The apostles were a unique calling of God. Capital A apostles were a unique calling of God. Don's not here today. Don was texting me on this. Are there capital A apostles anymore in the church? No. There are no more apostles in the church. The requirement to be an apostle, this includes the 12 apostles, also Matthias who replaced Judas Iscariot, and Paul who was specially chosen as an apostle to go to the Gentiles. Those were the capital A apostles. How, what was the qualifications? You had to be selected directly by Jesus Christ. Is anybody being selected directly by Jesus Christ today? No. You had to be instructed in the Word of God directly by Jesus Christ. And the third thing is you had to personally see the resurrected Lord. So, the, the, the last capital A apostle died with the apostle John in about 95 AD. That was the end of the apostle. And nowhere in scripture do we see succession plans. Oh, listen, I'm, I'm getting near the end. I'm going to lay hands on you and make you an apostle. They, they, they ceased to exist at the end of the apostle reign. It was a dispensation, a season of the church by God. Now, the closest thing we have in our day is not capital A apostles, but small a apostles, which would be the missionaries and church planners. Because the word apostle means one who is sent. One who is sent. So we still have the small a apostles, but this office of capital A apostles uh, ended with the apostle John. So he says, first we have apostles, very important in the establishment of the church. They are the ones that Jesus had selected to build the foundation of the church. And then second we see that uh, is what? Is prophets. Prophets. Now, Different, this is just historical for you, so you um, stay with me. We'll get to some application. But the, the, the prophets back then were different than the apostles because the apostles were going around to multiple locations to establish churches, and the right-hand person 
would be, they had two. They had a right and a left. The right-hand person was the prophets who would, who would proclaim the word of God. They would also, God would give them new revelation because the, the word of God had not been completed. So uh, the revelation of the word of God would be given to these prophets and they would share it with the congregation. They were dedicated to a local church as compared to the apostles going out and establishing multiple churches. Are you with me? And on the left hand was the teacher, which is the third position. So they had a, the apostles would come in and establish a church. The prophets would be proclaiming the word of God. And many times they would be just sitting there with the first letter, what we call the first letter to the Corinthians. I don't think Paul numbered them, but he would, they would just be proclaiming that as we are here, the prophets would be. And then the teachers had that special gifting, like our pastor Tyler does, of getting deep into the word and, and building doctrine within the church. And he, he really would go further than, than what the prophets did as far as laying the foundation of the word of God. And that's how the churches were established. So he said those are the first three and those are pretty important because those are the ones that were building the church. And then he said then, fourth, if you will, would be miracles. Um, and wh- why is that not as significant? Because you remember... Miracles were there to authenticate the messenger. As they'd go into these towns, the apostles would say, we're of Jesus Christ, and they would say, prove it. And so they would go around healing people and and doing these things, and they'd say, oh, you really are of God. So it was authentication. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Do we have miracles anymore? As Billy Graham says, we don't have any less. God is a miraculous God. But those kind of authenticating miracles still take place, but mostly in missionaries, out in the field where it, they're, they're running across exactly the same thing the early apostles did, where people say, you're, you're a what? We have, we have 50 gods. Who, who are you? And they would prove it by healing and special and angelic uh, appearances and things like that. We don't have that here because we have the finished and complete word of God, and we have the Holy Spirit living within us, but God still does miracles and healings within us. Does he not? He does. And again, it is really for the same reason. It's to build our faith and to authenticate that he's really God. So, but not to the level it was going on then, but that, that's just a picture of those things. And so he's saying, so someone that's doing miracles to authenticate we're from God, are they more important than the apostles, the prophets, and the teachers that are establishing the church? No, they're to authenticate that they are really the messengers. And the same with the healing ministry. And then administration which is the gift of leadership. They're, they're the ones to steer, the definition would be to steer or pilot a ship. They help, help the church on course towards the God-ordained destination. They have the wisdom of God and can mobilize, motivate, and direct others to achieve the goal. That's what an administrator does, a, a leader. Most pastors have that gifting. And then it says, and then he gets to the last one, which is the top on their list, and various kinds of tongues, which we've already talked about. So what's his point? He gets to it here. He said, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? And Paul's saying, of course not. Of course not. What is he saying? It's like the physical body. You have different parts. You all have to work together. You know what? The most valuable part of your body is, is every part right? What, what are you willing to give up? You want to give me a hand or a foot or an eye or an ear? Nobody wants to give up any parts of the body. Every part's important. And that's what he's saying. It's, it's, these are all important gifts, and I've given them to you so you would live in, in this inter, interdependent life with one another. You'd serve one another. That's what he's saying to them. Okay, 
and we're getting near the end here. A couple other points, we'll get to application here, but it says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. I think the best way to interpret this is uh, the goal is to know your gift, to develop your gift, and utilize your gift. That is really what it is, because it can't be to seek the higher gifts, because God is the one, the Holy Spirit gives the gifts, the Spirit calls us to ministry, and God determines the outcome. So really, it's a tough translation, but really, I, I believe it's Develop, discover your gift, develop them, and implement them. That's what I think he's trying to say there with the gifts. Is everybody here using their gifts? I'll call you up one after another before when this is over. We'll talk about it. And he's really just rebuking the, the prideful Corinthians to, uh, to engage in this full body. And then he says in closing this, he says, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Do you see that? And Pastor Tyler will pick, will pick this up in uh, three weeks from today. We'll start 1 Corinthians 13. And this is the, the foundation of utilizing your gifts because what is chapter 13 about? Love. Yeah, it's the book. It's the chapter on love. It's the, it's the beautiful, full teaching of what love looks like, this agape, sacrificial. Love is patient. Love is kind. And we're, we're going to dig deep into that because love is... You know, they will know you're my disciples by your love. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God, love your neighbors yourself. All these things, we have to build what this, this foundation of love is, which will start in a few weeks from now. But he goes, this is the greater way. If you want to know how to live interdependently, if you want to know how to live out this body of Christ like you're supposed to, the foundation has to be love. It has to be love. And I love all of you. Thank you. I do love you. So application here. You ready? Let's get into some application, which of course being the gift of exhortation is my favorite part of the sermon. Let me ask you this question. If you had one goal as a Christian, what would that goal be? The greatest goal for you in your life? And don't answer. Would it be to, to better carry out the Great Commission? Would it be to more fully live out the great commandment? Would it to be more thoroughly founded in the word of God? So what would be your number one goal as a Christian in your life? I would say the goal for all of us should be to be conformed more and more to the image of Christ. I think that's the greatest call on every Christian is to become more and more like Jesus. And by the way, all those other goals that we just talked about will all be fulfilled if we become more like Christ. Because isn't that what Scripture commands? You'll be conformed to the image of Christ. And how do we do that? We do that by being transformed, by being men and women of the Word of God, being men and women of prayer, serving one another. And what we should start to see in us, you can look at the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You should see the attributes of Christ practically and in reality living through us. Are you with me on that? You should be, you should be surprised at how much you love others. It's kind of surprising, right? It's, it's shocking. Because you know what? It's not of the flesh. It's of the Spirit. I hate to tell you, you're not all that lovable. But I love you all by the Spirit of God. And guess what? I'm not all that lovable. Mary will attest to that. I didn't even get an amen on that one. 
<laughs> the, the reality is, is that we, we are all sinners. We all fall short, fall short of the glory of God. But by the supernatural a work of God in our life by the Spirit of God. We, we agape. We love sacrificially. We love people even when they're having a bad day and they're ripping us. We, we're able to just come along people and, and encourage them. And we have a peace regardless of circumstances. And we have this joy that the world can't understand. It's all by the Spirit of God that lives within us. And so the number one goal is for us to be uh, more like Christ. So let me ask you, go back to the original theme of this. If anybody could have been independent, it would have been Jesus, right? As he walked on this earth? Did he live an independent life? No, he lived an interdependent life. First and foremost, I want you to see that he lived a life that was totally dependent on the Father, right? What did he say? He said, I don't say anything except what the Father tells me to say. I don't do anything except what the Father tells me to do. He is the second Adam. He didn't eat the fruit. He continued to live a completely dependent life on God, which is the calling for all of us. Don't be leaning on your own understanding. Some of you, some of you are making plans of where you're going to go, and some of you are from the mission or where I'm going to live or who I'm going to... Stop. Surrender it all to Jesus. Don't make any plans in your own strength. Let God lead you. That's a life of dependency. And believe me, he wants to lead you and guide you in life. He knows where you should live. He knows where you should work. He knows who you should be in relationship with. He knows all those things. He has a perfect plan for you to live a righteous life. If you ever start making your own plans and doing your own things, you are eating of the fruit. You're eating of the fruit. And I don't care what's whispering or who's whispering in your ear, you go to God and God alone for guidance in your life. That's what Jesus did. We want to be like Jesus. Now, interdependent, he grew up in a home. He was born a baby. He submitted to his parents. He respected them. He became a carpenter with his dad. And then to show interdependence, when he started his ministry, he picked 12 guys to come alongside of him, to work with him, to be interdependent, to model this for us. And, of course, the interdependence of God is so clear because what is it? Father, Son, and Spirit. Three in one, perfect picture of interdependence. They all have different roles. They all have different giftings. They all have different responsibilities, but they live in perfect unity, right? I'm going to get on a tangent here because I'm getting prompted, but I just tell you this, that um, we are so designed for interdependence that the world through Satan tries to manufacture it. It's called socialism and communism. It's a way of giving us this false sense of interdependence. Are you with me on this? It doesn't work. It only works in Christ. But see, since we're designed for interdependence, we think, well, well, yeah, let's give the government more power so that he can provide every, they can provide everything for us. Why doesn't that work, by the way? Why isn't that working in Venezuela? Why isn't that working in Cuba? Why isn't as you give government more power so that we can live in this so-called interdependence work? Because they're sinners. And what happens? Power corrupts. And they enslave the people over and over in Cuba, Venezuela, everywhere where socialism has grown to communism, when, in Russia, China. I've been to China. I've seen the oppression. It, they get powerful, and then they oppress the people, and then you have a super wealthy group and general poverty throughout the world. But that's the world's attempt at creating interdependence, and for, people are kind of drawn to it because it sounds right. You know why it sounds right? Because it's supposed to be lived out right here. 
with God. Okay, that was a tangent, but I'm just thinking about the Cubans and how much they're suffering right now. Awful persecution. Okay, let me jump ahead to this. I think that's enough. I'll just say this, that when we grow in dependency in God, what happens is there's a thankfulness. There, there, there's, a, there's a gratitude that comes over our heart. There's this, uh, there's this poor in spirit, this humility that should overtake you. If you want to look for, for, for indications that you're, you're living this dependent life, as you're, you're seeking God for everything you do, your prayer life grows, there's this humility, this gratitude, and also this confession and repentance of sin in your life. There's this clean, righteous life as you, as you become this dependent person on God. And by the way, that is how we live interdependent. It starts with dependency. You can't do it in the flesh. You have to be dependent. If you want to get ready to be part of this body, go increase your dependency on Christ. Then you'll be more valuable to the body. Are you with me? Okay.